Welcome to the Human Insight Podcast, where we share with you the business stories, ideas, and trends shaping the future of customer experience, told firsthand by the experts themselves in thought-provoking conversations. Hi, podcast listeners. This week's episode is a conversation Janelle had with futurist and author Brian Solis at the Human Insights Summit held last week in New Orleans. We hope you enjoy the conversation. And now, would you please welcome back to the stage, User Testing Chief Insights Officer, Janelle Estes. Hello, it's nice to see everyone on day two, um, and hope you all had fun last night at the party. I know I did. Um, so I'm really excited about this session. Um, I'm going to be sitting down and chatting with Brian Solis. So Brian is a pioneer in the experience industry. Um, he recently published a book titled X, which you all are going to get a copy of later, and we're going to be um, giving those out and signing them a little bit later in the conference. And uh, we're going to chat through quite a bit. So um, I'm really excited to have him here. So please welcome Brian to the stage. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so welcome. Yeah, thank Thanks you. Hello, everybody. There. Are you still in this? <laughs> yes. All right. <laughs> thank you so much for being here. We're so excited to have you here. Are you kidding me? This is, this is amazing. It's great to be in New Orleans for the first time in, well, since before COVID. Yeah. So I'm uh, just happy to be here with everybody. Yeah. Awesome. So you recently published a book, uh, X. Do you want to tell the, yeah. the, te- the folks I'll about give it? you guys a little bit of context. So I have been in the business of innovation and transformation since the 1990s. And why I share that with you is because I have been trying my best for over 20-something years to change C-suites of organizations uh, to be more modern, uh, to be more experiential, to be more truly customer-centric rather than just a tagline. And have also then uh, exercised uh, when I needed to ex- when I needed to accelerate that work and experience with a lot of startups. So I also helped launch over a thousand startups uh, since the 1990s. And this book X is sort of a reflection of experience innovation for online and also in real world. Uh, and I'm also the global innovation evangelist at Salesforce, uh, where I get my hands dirty every single day, helping companies actually become customer centric. Yeah, that's amazing. Sounds like I've got plenty of things that are keeping you busy and motivated. Oh, totally. And I'm also very excited for you and your book, User Tested. Oh, thank you. Uh, so congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So I would love to jump into some of the topics that both of our books kind of delve into. So one of the big themes that we've been talking about at this conference and what we really feel so passionate about is bringing the human back into the business. And maybe we can just chat a little bit about, like, how, how do you do that uh, in a world that is so obsessed and focused on data and numbers? Well, the world... There's a couple of a couple of ways to talk about that because the world needs to be more data obsessed, uh, and the the challenge is that most organizations are data siloed. Uh, so no matter how much data they have, it's never 
it's never clean enough or integrated enough. It's never, uh, the insights are never fast enough and they're certainly not actionable in the ways that'll help all of us do our jobs better and also to deliver customer experiences that they, they expect. So what I try to do is add a new layer on top of all of this data integration, which is what I call uh, data-driven empathy or digital empathy. So it's, it's, it's exercising the data points that we can action that are going to deliver a better experience for the customer. And, and let me just pause there because experience is the key word. We all talk about it, whether it's user experience, customer experience, but the word experience itself was actually profound. I wrote a whole book on it and I couldn't find a definition that I really wanted to use of what experience means. And so I ended up having to just really reflect on it, uh, meeting with you know, psychologists, social scientists. And it turns out that experience is pretty powerful. I think it's understated in, in a lot of our work in that it, it's an emotional reaction to a moment. And that emotion, whether you're in line whether you're uh, having the best meal of your life, whether you're at Disneyland, that experience, that emotional reaction to that moment is profound because it's emotional, but it's also the narrative you tell yourself about that experience and then what you tell people about that experience that becomes the story. And we don't really design for that emotional reaction and we need to. So when I talk about data-driven empathy, what I'm looking for are the insights that are going to help me engender the type of emotional reaction that's delightful, that's positive, that's surprising. Uh, and the last bit I'll put on this, because then I want to ask you a question about this, is there are only two experiences that we as human beings remember. Experiences that suck and experiences that are amazing. And everything else in between them, even if it's transactional, even if it's fluid, integrated, seamless, is forgettable. And that's counterintuitive because yeah. the better we try to make those experiences or translate data into insights that facilitate those experiences to be forgettable, then that's not good for the experience either. So I, 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 think, about, I think about the opportunity here to specifically fine-tune the data inputs and the insights so we're not going crazy across all of the signals, but to help us deliver those moments that matter. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I'd love to hear, because you, you, you just got a whole brand new book out on, on this whole thing, is that you, you, have a, you have an opportunity to work with customers and partners on what their data strategy is to, to experience design. And I'm curious you know, what you see from their standpoint of where they find success in making the case for mm. data integration and collaboration. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of the work that we do is about bringing the data that we're looking at to life. Uh, and so usually what ends up happening uh, at companies, and I'm sure you all can relate to this, is that you tend to be looking at the data from one angle, and usually it's an angle that is a, a chart or a graph or a number or something that doesn't tell you the whole story. And so the most successful companies that I see and, and how they're integrating these kind of, if you think about the data sources, like bringing things together to get that whole picture, like the 360 degree view of the customer. Because without that, you're just really looking at, you know, numbers and numbers aren't memorable. I mean, we know with the science and psychology behind stories and storytelling um, you know, and, and, and you made the, the point about these moments that we experience are stories that we then tell ourselves. That's the same thing for people in your company who are building products. Uh, when they see 
the customer, that's a story as well. And those stories about the customers and, you know, Tosca shared yesterday about that one quote uh, that kind of floats around the company is, I just want to know how I'm doing around your, it was, uh, she was from uh, Morgan Stanley and she was talking about how they were trying to make, take a really complex thing, which is your personal financial situation and make it accessible and approachable and help people understand, like, how am I doing right. with my finances? And so that's a quote from a customer. That's a piece of a story that they tell internally. And to me, that's an amazing example of just the power of this, this work. Yeah, you know, it actually made me think of something that I, I meant to say earlier, too, because data is powerful. Don't get me wrong. Dashboards are powerful. It's not that they're going to go away. But right. I think the art of this is how do you translate that data and that insights to people to engender empathy mm. that aren't geeking out like a lot of us do. Uh, and I remember a stat from a report that we just published. Uh, it's called The State of the Connected Customer. And what we found was 88% of customers say that the experience you provide as a company is as important as your products and services. And that's pretty mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. 88%. I think the other 12% didn't understand the question. No, I really <laughs> like bad experiences. But the, uh, the reality is, is that you are, your, your experience is the product. And I'll, I'll write this story down for later because I don't want to harp on this too much, but I'll, I will tell the story of Airbnb and Snow White later. Well, I mean, <laughs> come on. <laughs> you can't tease us like that. Uh, okay, well, you know, the thing about data is that anybody in this room watches show Undercover Boss? Yeah, all right, five of you, <laughs> come on. I love that show, even though it has the same ending every episode. Uh, the, the, the thing about the show is that it's, it's uh, the undercover boss moment, as I call it, is when an executive actually feels the empathy of what it's like to be an employee or what it's like to be a yes. customer. No amount of data is going to deliver that empathy. So in, in some of our, in some ways, our job is also to become a storyteller. And Airbnb, uh, about four years into its existence, I don't know if you remember all of the, uh, the headlines way back in the day of, of people talking about these nightmare scenarios of what it's like to be a guest or, or hosts would talk about these nightmare guests who would trash their property or have parties and, it was actually affecting their valuation. So there was a real business need to figure this out. Mm-hmm. The data showed a lot of things that the C-suite, that the board, that investors didn't realize about the, who was using Airbnb and why. Mm-hmm. And so it became a data, it became a data story. Mm-hmm. The team poured through the data and understood that there were a lot of things that the company hadn't realized like why people wanted to become hosts. Why would they use their own personal property in this way? And why would people want to be guests of people's properties rather than go to a nice hotel like this? Other things that data showed too was that the experience, the Airbnb experience didn't just start with the website or the booking or the arrival on the property. It also was affected by were they in traffic on the way to the property? Mm. Was their flight delayed? Uh, was airport security a nightmare? And those things came up through the data integration process. 
And they realized that the only way to convey the story for the host and the guest was to, this was so clever, they brought in a storyboard artist from Disney. Uh, his name is Nicholas Sung, and he translated the data into storyboards that would then tell stories to everyone who had to make a decision about the company that hit home. It gave the undercover boss moment. Yeah. And I share this with you because it was enough to completely, this is one if you don't remember, or maybe you do remember, when they came out with the new logo, Airbnb became an experience company. Uh, it was a total transformative process for them, and, and, and they, would have, they never would have gotten there if it was just relying on the data alone. Yeah, absolutely. And you're reminding me of their experience. I don't know if you all have used Airbnb recently. I don't know exactly when this came out, but in addition to be able to search by location, most people have an idea of where they want to get their Airbnb, or maybe that was the perception internally. Um, but now when you go to Airbnb, you can search by location, but you can also search by experience. So if you say, I want to go to um, stay somewhere near the beach, or I want to stay in a super cool cabin in the middle of the woods somewhere, doesn't really matter where. I'm kind of open to where this experience happens, but I just kind of want to see what my options are. And I think that that's a really, that type of innovation doesn't happen when you're not, like, you have to know your customers in order for that innovation to happen. Oh, gosh, you know, you just made me think of another story. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to take up too much time, but, you know, a lot of times if we're not, if we're not our customer, we're going to then design with our own biases, or we're going to design within mm. the confines of what the company or the decision maker or the stakeholder who's usually removed tells us what to do. Uh, but, you know, customers, customers should be your source of inspiration. And for example, I, I, I'm doing work with a, a, a very, uh, really popular beauty company out, out of Australia called Mecca. Mm-hmm. And what we learned recently was that the, the customer journey for beauty in general is not what we think it is. People aren't searching for brands. People aren't searching for particular products. turns out that in the last year and a half, people have transformed their search behaviors to the point where TikTok is outperforming Google in many of these regards. And it's not because they're looking at brands or products. They're searching for things like smoky eye, and there is no existing journey that exists on the brand side for that. Mm. So we had to then understand the customer interests, the customer's behaviors, and create a new journey then that maps them to the products, to that outcome, content that brings you your smoky eye, right. and all of those things that, that continue to unfold. But that wouldn't have happened if we actually weren't looking at the customer. Yeah. Absolutely. Do they have uh, makeup for Zoom calls by any chance? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm now having to look at, I I used one of the apps that assessed my skin and the first thing it came back said, uh, oh yeah, we have products for dark circles. (laughs) That's a little too too perfect uh, spot on, yes. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that has been a theme over the past couple of days is really, you know, talking about how do we evangelize this work? How do we get the stakeholders to pay attention, invest in it? You know, this idea that of getting a seat at the table, right, where the where the decisions are being made. And I like to think about that as, you know, it's not just getting you as 
a, a person at the company a seat at the table, which is important, right? But it's really about getting the, it, it's all about getting your customer to the table, right? And being part of that larger conversation. So do you have any tips or best practices or what have you seen work well for sort of building the case and, and securing that seat at the table? Well, you know, the, the Airbnb story changed my approach. Mm. I, I, I used to just try to say, well, I know the answer and I'll go get the data <laughs> and I'll make the case. I used to say that part of, part of transformation, you had to be a cheerleader you know, to get everybody motivated, but you also had to have, you also had to, to have the chops of a really great lawyer to, you know, to present the evidence and make the case and yeah. bring about that change. But then I realized, though, that after, after that Airbnb story, I reached out to Nick Sung and invited him to teach me the art of storyboarding. Uh, and it turns out that I, I had always assumed that storyboarding was this process of putting together stills so that you can go through the sequence of what the movie will be before you make the investment in the animation. And for those who don't know, Walt Disney created it for the Snow White movie, which was the first animated motion picture. And that helped me sort of think about like, yeah, of course they had to do stills because they, they didn't want to invent a motion picture until they had the story done. Sure. But it turns out that it's, it's not about that. It's actually about you going through the exercise of understanding the character development. Mm-hmm. Is this character believable? Is it relatable? Is this story going to take you through the hero's journey? Which is, I think, something we could talk about around not just the customer's journey, but are we creating that emotional journey for them? Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it's not, that's where they refine the story is through the storyboarding process. And I stopped thinking about journey maps and I stopped mm-hmm. thinking about these traditional tools and started thinking about storyboarding, storytelling, and mm-hmm. doing the hard work that executives are never going to do on their own. Right. The one thing that I also wanted to, to share with you in the answer was that they're not, gonna, they're not going to ever have that undercover boss moment on their own. They're not going to wake up one day and say, I went through this life-transforming experience in my dream last night. So we have to actually help deliver that undercover boss moment to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing that I'd like you to, to think about is we also need to give empathy to them. Yes, we're overworked. We're probably underappreciated. We probably can't do all of the things that we want to do, but we can make the case. We can make the stories that help bring people to the table in ways that are relatable to them. So the empathy that I give to executives when I work with them is I try to understand what's their day in the life of. Mm -hmm. Their customers, even though they're your customers, their customers are also shareholders or other stakeholders or boards a lot of the things that get in the way of their decisions are things like politics, things mm-hmm. like egos, things like legacy thinking, uh, biases. So I try to understand then how I would make the case or tell the story in a way that brings them to their goals, whether that's growth, whether that's changing net promoter scores, whatever, whatever their business goals are, I try to align the story I need to tell by representing the customer in a way that they'll never understand, but humanizing it in a way that they can't unsee. Mm -hmm. Because if they make a decision to not make those investments as a result of that very powerful story, then it's not my problem. 
it's their problem. And then I have bigger, I have bigger questions that I need to start to answer uh, about where my time should be spent in yeah. that regard. But I, I will tell you this, that I really, I really haven't met an executive that says, you know what, Brian, that sounds really good, but I don't really care about our customers. Mm. I think it's just showing it in a different light that makes them say, like, I never thought about it that way. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the point about really understanding uh, your, you know, who you're delivering this information to or who you're telling the stories to is such an important point. We touch on it in the book a little bit. There's a woman I spoke to, um, Tabitha Dunn, who is a head of customer experience at Ericsson, and she's been at a bunch of different global, big, massive companies, kind of legacy customers, companies and really trying to transform like how they do customer understanding. And the point that she makes in the book is that we do a really good job as professionals when we're trying to understand our customers, right? We're, we're, we're digging in, we're, we're observing, we're really dissecting all of the information coming at us about who our customers are. But we don't do that same exercise with our internal customers. Not always anyway. And so kind of taking your approach of how you go and look and watch and observe and understand your external customers, doing the same for your internal customers, and then delivering a message that resonates with them. I think that's the point you're making. Absolutely. The other point I'd like to make is your job is more important than I think a lot of people within the organization realize. And when customers are saying that the experience is your product, the other stat is that's important is that if they know they're going to get a good experience, they'll spend at least 25% more for a similar product. So that means that there's, there's margin in experience design as well. And I'll give you an example. It's actually in the book. Think about a paper airplane ticket. Those are the worst designed products I've ever seen. Think about a parking sign. I don't think anybody who's designed a parking sign has ever tried to read it in the <laughs> moment when you need to figure out, can I park here? And this is sort of the importance, I think, of user research is that mm-hmm. if you can humanize the stress and the anxiety of mm-hmm. this, you'll probably come up with a different parking sign than what a parking sign looks like. But people can't make the mental leaps to that. And the more that we can help them bring, shed their biases and help them make a decision to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And we also make the business case around that or cross, you know, collaborate with people who can make, help you make the business case. It, it always works out. Yeah. Well, it, it, it better anyway. <laughs> uh, and I, oh, you know, can I ask you a question though? Cause sure. I don't know if I mentioned this or I probably didn't. I'm also a digital anthropologist and I had to become one because I couldn't, uh, I couldn't make sense of the transformations that were taking place so quickly, like with the mobile phone revolution and the app economy and social media. And so spending more time understanding how technology was changing people so that I can then apply that layer of research to the story because most executives aren't their customers in that regard either Mm -hmm. um, so that they could understand that. What are you seeing in terms of research that helps make the case for companies that then decide, like, I never saw it that way. We've got to, we've got to try something different. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it is, is, you know, the, 
the research and, and kind of what we see is that direct exposure to, to customers. So, you know, one of the things that we've been talking about is storytelling, right? And why that's so important and how it can help you build the case. But it, oftentimes it's you telling the story and somebody listening to the story. Um, I think there's something interesting about having people actually experience that story for themselves. So having that direct exposure to customers and really, instead of you being the messenger, getting people to actually make that direct connection. So powerful. Yeah. You just made me think of, um, you know, back in the day, I was, I was doing work with Tony Shea, who was the founder of Zappos. And one of the things that became instrumental in his executive training was that every executive had to work the contact center, you know, mm-hmm. take calls from customers so that they could feel what it was like to be on the other end and help inspire you know, human-centered transformation because they actually felt that empathy as a result. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Can we switch over to talking about the future? I think there's so much exciting stuff happening, and I think we're really at the start of something really big. I mean, as someone, and you've been in this field for a long time as well, I mean, just the the growth that we've seen as an industry, you know, when I started my career, there was no such thing as like UX, or there was, but there's probably like 100 jobs available total, you know, and now it's sort of something that every company has decided to invest in and put puts value in. And just seeing that explosive growth. I mean, I always tell the story of when I first started this work, I felt like I was like a superhero and I had a superpower that no one else knew about. Um, you know, getting out of grad school and feeling like I had this like really interesting skill set that no one else could really emulate very easily. Um, but then seeing that massive adoption and seeing it spread beyond just, you know, these trained professionals um, over the last 20 years is pretty incredible. But to me, you know, thinking about what's the ne- what are the next 20 years? What does this look like? Um, and I think we're all think- been thinking about that at the conference today uh, and-, and yesterday as well. Um, I mean, I'll just share one idea and that I'd love uh, if you have any stories or what, what you see as the future. So um, I don't know if any of you all have heard of the Shoah Foundation. Um, they're based in... LA, I believe. Um, and what they do and what they've been working on is uh, interviewing Holocaust survivors because there aren't a lot of Holocaust survivors still alive. And uh, what they are trying to do is preserve these people. Um, so future generations, maybe family members or even really anyone who might be interested can actually have a conversation with them when they're no longer here. So what they're doing is they're finding these people and they're interviewing them. They're asking them hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of questions. And they're codifying all of this with artificial intelligence. And so you could go up to this sort of person who embodies, or this person who is a representation of that human, and actually have a conversation with them about what their experience was like. And although it's not a direct connection to, you know, how there's not a straight line that I'm drawing to, to that example to our work in the future, but I find things like that so fascinating. Can we get to a place where, like, the, the, you can sort of rec- recreate a person, but it's, it's very real and it helps build empathy? Yeah, that's profound. Uh, I hope there's more projects like that, that 
aim to use technology to humanize experiences. Mm -hmm. uh, and we only got a couple of minutes left, and I wrote down so many notes. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to jump through it. this as quickly as possible. You know, one of the projects I just worked with, um, a company called Soul Machines, and Soul Machines makes digital humans. Mm. And digital humans, uh, the first thing that people think about is that uh, they're going to replace real people. But in fact, it's meant as an augmentation to free up people from doing the less mundane things to focus on more creative work. One being in the contact center, for example, or one being a more human chatbot that can have a conversation with you rather than this decision tree-like experience. And, you know, I, the, the future is partly in that regard because it has an AI brain that you program. But the thing about AI is that it has to be data-driven, and so you still need that data, and you have to have the customer data necessary to be able to sort of personalize that engagement in real time so that a digital human could talk to you as if it was a real person mm. with empathy, this digital empathy, this digital warmth that I, that I believe is a big deal. But I also think that all of the things we talked about today are going to be the building blocks for a more human-centered world. I hope so, anyway. Uh, because otherwise, if you've ever had a conversation with anybody who's an audiophile or someone who loves vinyl records, they will always tell you that the vinyl experience is the best because it's so warm and rich and that digital isn't. And it's true if you look like at, at the files that are on your you know, your phone or whatever your digital music player of choice is, you know, they are highly compressed, so it is a different experience. So that means that we have to think about the future of designing warmth into digital, mm -hmm. designing those experiences, not just user experiences, but designing those experiences. And you think about that, you know, even though it's sort of in the early days of the hype cycle, you know, the metaverse is actually going to happen. It's going to happen in different stages, but the most important stage being what happens in the next 10 years, which is let's not go all ready player one and think about headsets on your face, but think about a three-dimensional web because that's what the first phase of the metaverse is going to look like. So instead of, you, know, you pick, pick e-commerce, for example, two-dimensional shopping hasn't changed much since the 1990s. Right. And so when you can immerse yourself in a 3D shopping experience and then the next layer where you can feel or have haptic sensors or you can move around you know, with, with, with these mobile treadmills, that'll be a later version, but just at least a three-dimensional web, designing warmth in that three-dimensional web and going from site to site in the third dimension, that's, that's, that's on the near future side of things too. And, and, and maybe just a preview beyond that, it's going to add a new layer to user experience design, mm -hmm. which I call spatial design. And it's built on or riffed on spatial computing, which is the technique you use to design for a world, a virtual world or a mm -hmm. game. Uh, and I see that spatial design will be online and also offline. So if you look up a company called Forward Health, uh, they took the principles of user research and user experience design, and they reimagined what the doctor's office looks like and also what the doctor's office and technology look like mm. to then give you preventative care, not just reactive care. So it's very, it's very interesting where all of very this is going. Very interesting. Yeah, there's so much developing, and I think it makes it really excited for us who have a career in understanding how people... Uh, consume experiences, react to experience, and there's no shortage of new areas to explore. And I think that's, that's an exciting thing to think about as we think about the future.
I'm, I'm actually very inspired by all of this and inspired by all of the opportunities that you face. I know it's not easy, but I can tell you that, you know, if companies like Apple are looking for ways to create new moments that matter, for example, I don't know if you know this or not, but there's a team whose job it is is to create great out-of-box experiences so that when you open the lid, you get that weight and the thunk. That's actually a designed moment that matters because they learned it matters. And so this is... Every, the importance of these roles in the future of experience design is going to be the next competitive advantage. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like we could uh, keep going here for, for quite a while, but um, we are out of time. We uh, have actually gone a few minutes over. So thank you so much, Brian. This was amazing. Um, and we're going to be uh, doing a book signing at, at the closing reception. So would love to see you all there. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you very much, everybody. Janelle, thank you so much. All right. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you liked it, please share it with a friend or coworker. If you think it could have been better, let us know. Email us at podcast at usertesting.com. Thanks. <laughs>